I'm going to be spending the next few weeks in talking about um, a number of, well, not a number of topics, one topic, really. Most places you go to as a pastor, a new church, they say to you, you can have up to two years as a honeymoon period, all right, without there being any major disasters or whatever. Um, And uh, I've never been to a church yet where I've even made anywhere near two years. And I want to tell you that this church has been the longest honeymoon period I've ever had, all right? Um, But I want to talk about something this morning, which if you're visiting with us, um, it's a bit in-house, all right? Um, But I really feel it's something that needs to be spoken about. And so if you're visiting with us, I hope that you will take something away with you about it. Um, But please bear in mind that um, I'm talking about something uh, specifically for the congregation here. In Ephesians, we're going to hang out in Ephesians this morning. I'm actually going to read Ephesians 4, 1 to 16 in a moment. But I want to just give a little bit of... uh, in one sense, um, not background to this, but background to what I'm, say, uh, I'm going to be saying. On the 29th, I think, of May this year, I completed one year here. All right? I think that was a Sunday. No, it isn't. Are we still in May? We are. No, so it wasn't. It's tomorrow. So it's today then. Oh no, I started on the 1st of May, not the 29th. Yeah. So I think actually it was the 29th of April. I think, good job you're here, love. It's early, it's, it's, it's early, early forgetfulness. That's what we'll call it. Let me just get it. No, actually it was the 30th of April. No, that's... Yeah, that's right, it's the 30th of April. So up until the 30th of April, I had my Sunday service on the 30th of April, and up until that point, do you know what? I, ha- I, I didn't have one thing that had happened that bothered me, worried me, or anything. But on Monday the 1st of May, I sat at my desk, and I received an email. Now, the who the email's from is immaterial and everything else. But anyway, from that day to date, so this month so far, I have noticed that there is an increasing disturbance in the body. And I want to talk to it this morning, all right? And I want to be gentle and yet firm And I want to be loving, but I do need you to know that I will call out stuff if it continues to go on. In Ephesians, in Ephesians 6, we all know that wonderful passage about the armour of God and We sometimes think if we're wearing the armour of God, then everything 
is going to be all right because there's no way the enemy can get to us. In fact, sometimes I think we think that the enemy comes up, knocks on the door and says, hello, I'm here, I'm going to cause a bit of disturbance. And yet, Scripture tells us that very often he comes in as an angel of light and disguises himself. And when God wants to do something somewhere, I want to tell you, we should not be unaware of the devil's schemes. And therefore, I want to call us to something this morning. I want to call us to something this morning. And I want to call us to unity as a church, as a congregation. Now, the danger in speaking the way I'm going to speak is that some of you may be totally unaware that there are any, any issues going on. Some of you will be aware, and I know that some are, because texts have been sent to different people that, you know, just identifying that they're feeling something. They don't know what it is, but they're feeling something. And that, I think, is discernment. And I want to say to you today, I really believe that the enemy is trying to gain a foothold in our midst. And he is wanting to disrupt and destroy through bringing disunity amongst people. So I'm going to read to you from Ephesians 4, then I'm going to share with you, and then we're going to worship again and break bread. I'm going to be several weeks talking about unity, so this is just the, the I don't know what you call it, the pre-warmer, all right? Um, but I, I, I want us to make unity. In fact, I've called the, entitled this Contending for Unity. Contending. Not being passive, hoping that unity is going to just suddenly appear. Or asking God just to let the fire fall, let the fire fall, let the fire from heaven fall. And when it's fallen, it will burn off everything which is negative and we'll be okay. We have to contend for unity because the devil is a subtle and clever adversary. Anyway, Ephesians 4, 1. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One God, one Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. 
In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Let me just stop there a moment. Have you ever contemplated that verse? Just that one verse. Until we all attain unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Have you ever considered that verse? It's a high calling to which we have been called. It is a high calling. We've been called to be conformed to the image of Jesus, God's Son. We've been called to that. And when we allow the enemy or ourselves to get in the way of that, somehow we are missing the high calling that we have in Jesus. It's done so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes, rather speaking the truth in love. That's what I want to do this morning. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. <clears throat> Paul, in writing to the Ephesian Christians, he has a desire for them to understand not only the blessings of Christ that we find in Ephesians chapter 1, that we've been redeemed and we've been cleansed and sanctified. He gives a whole host of blessings that we have. Because of the grace of God, he doesn't just want to stop there, but he also wants to give us something that will challenge us or challenge the Ephesians Christians, but there is the same challenge to us today that we are to connect in some way with the purposes of God in order that he might be glorified in the earth. In Ephesians 2.10, we read these words, for we, it's a plural we, we, and you can actually individualize that we, even though it's plural, it, it does apply to each one of us, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. 
Here we are introduced to the fact that in deciding to turn back to God, which is what we have done, it does not mean that we have only secured our eternal destiny. So many people turn back to God to secure their eternity. And that's where they stop. It's like moving into the foyer of a property or an estate, the gateway to an estate. And all you ever do is go to the estate house that's right at the gates there. You never explore the rest of the estate. And that in itself is an immense gift that we've been given. But alongside this, he also introduces us to the fact that we have a focus in our life, we are being called to a life of service. And the one we are serving is not the local minister or the local leadership, although we are asked to submit and to um, pray for and to honor those who um, are in those roles. But we're called to a life of service of the king. Paul goes on from there and he continues to unpack what God has revealed to him throughout the remainder of his letter to the Ephesians. And again, we go over one more chapter into Ephesians 3, 8 to 10, and he says, to me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone What is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things? Now here is the plan. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. So our eternal destiny is secured when we turn back to God. We're now told that we have a life of service, but here we are given a life of purpose. So we have a life of service, but that service is to be directed into a life of purpose. And I know that we had a dream day and I know that we will come up with our own, you know, vision statement and all those things. But bottom line is, it appears to me that God's already got one. And that is that through the church, that's you and me. The church isn't a building. It is the gathered people of God. The people who are surrendering their lives to him daily. The people who are allowing the Holy Spirit to work in their life. The people who are working hard, and I don't mind using the phrase working, working hard in partnering with God to transformation into the image of Jesus. So our eternal destiny is secured. We've got a life of service. And obviously with that, there must be gifts for us to use. But we are called corporately together, not individually, corporately together to make known the manifold wisdom of God. The manifold, I love that word, manifold. 
the manifold wisdom of God. Like a diamond, you know, I expect, I don't know, there are, I think there's a diamond in your ring somewhere, isn't there? It's so small, you can't really see any beauty in it just by looking at it, because it's a tiny one, because I was skint when we got married, right? But the reality is, if I was to get out an eyeglass, and I was to put that in my eye, and I looked at it, I would be able to see that that stone has been cut by a craftsman. And it has many facets. It's not just two facets or four facets. It's not a square. It, must, it, it can have, depending on the size of the diamond, I presume, it could have loads and loads of facets. So when the light hits it, it sends stuff out all over the place. A diamond looks beautiful as the light hits it. But it is not just one thing. It's not like picking up and polishing a pebble on the beach. So when the light hits it, all you see is a pebble. It's many faceted. It's beautiful. And when we think about God and what God wants to do in our lives and in the lives of our gathered community is the church. It's not just singular facet. It is multifaceted. He wants us to know everything, to, to search the unsearchable riches, the riches that we will never exhaust this side of eternity or in eternity. We will for eternity be finding something new out about God every period of our lives. And what, what an amazing fact. We are a collection of people, possibly who would never have chosen each other if it was down to ourselves. Is that not true? I look around a room and I see people in this room. If I wasn't saved and I wasn't in this church, but I was in this town, would I necessarily have ever met you? Probably not. Probably not. We are a diverse group of people, all with our own quirks, all with our own issues. And the reality for me is the beauty is that God brings this motley crew of people with all their baggage, with all their good bits and their bad bits and their in-between bits. And he brings us and he folds us and moulds us to become a family. It is truly life transforming. Truly. So. We need to contend for unity. I'm back to Ephesians 4. Now I've had my little ramble through 1, 2, and a bit of 3. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit 
in the bond of peace. The reality is the church is one essence because it is founded on one gospel. It is united to one Lord and it is indwelt by one Holy Spirit. If you need to check out my theology, it's Romans 12, 5 and 1 Corinthians 12, 12 and then 12 verse 20. Like the Trinity are three in one, which we grapple with constantly because it's difficult for us to really grasp that. Despite the fact that we're diverse, God has called us to come together as one. You can look at Colossians 3.11 or Ephesians 2.14-16. In fact, I'll read you 2.14-16 as it's open on the page. If I can find 14, of course. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commands expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, that is, Jew and Gentile, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing, killing hostility. We need to contend for hostility, uh, not for hostility, we need to contend for unity and reject hostility. There's no, what a Freudian, eh? God me. We need to contend for unity. You see, the predisposition of humanity is to division. There is a predisposition in humanity to division. And I think you can see that in the world today. People are increasingly identifying themselves around something in order that they are identified. And very often that identification ends up with division, not any sense of coming together. Now, we can sit here and we can say, well, of course, that's inevitable. There's sin in this world. Yeah, you're right. There's sin in the church because we are sinners saved by grace. And I'm not perfect yet. So if you're not sinners, and I'm sure you're not, I can tell you I am. All right? I make mistakes. I do things wrong. I say things wrong. I'm not even proud of those things. But the reality is, you know, we have a, a, a predisposition, I believe, towards division. We allow ourselves to have... Not our ego isn't the right word. I can't think of what the word is I want. But um, we can catch on to small things and magnify them to big things and then withdraw. Some of the things I've noticed that are happening in the fellowship at the moment is there is a... And you might find this... You might not have experienced this, and if you haven't, that's brilliant. But there is a sense of um, a little bit of anger being shown in different places at different times. There are situations that happen sometimes where um, 
People go from zero to hero. I have that in me. You know, there's no like zero and then I'll just gently run all the way through. It's like zero. Let's be a hero. <laughs> um, there's misunderstandings. There's threatening to remove themselves. It just bothers me because anything like that is the work of the enemy. When we allow the enemy to run amok, we start to see fractures in relationships. We start to see a a lack of fruitfulness both in our own individual lives and in the life and the overall life of the church. And so for me, unity is absolutely paramount. And I want us to contend for it. Because at the moment, the enemy, you know in the Old Testament, it says the little foxes that spoil the vine. Yeah? Well, it's the little foxes that are out trying to spoil the vine. And therefore, I want to call us to contend for unity. How do we do that? How do we do that? We need to learn to pray and pray hard. To pray for one another. To pray protection over each other. We need to do that. You see, there is a a wider purpose for unity than ourselves. It's not just so we can have a nice, woolly, warm community. All right? Unity is not about having a woolly warm community where we all feel good and we all know each other's and we know each other's business. But the purpose of unity is so that others come to faith. That's the purpose of our unity. John 17, Jesus' prayer. I do not ask for these only, but for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory you have given me, I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you love me. Unity is absolutely paramount. If we genuinely want to be a church that or a congregation that is going to reach people who the Bible refers to as sinners... People who do not know God. If you were to walk down the street and talk to people about why they don't get involved in church, you might be surprised at some of the answers we might get. And some of them, they're fine because we're not talking about compromising God's word, but some of those things might be, well, you're always arguing with each other you know you don't even like each other (laughs) you know and so I want us to be a body and I believe God wants us to be a body that is going to lead others to Jesus Jesus' own words do you remember in Matthew 12 Jesus was accused he cast out a demon from somebody 
And the Pharisees thought it was a smart move to accuse Jesus of casting out a demon by Beelzebul, the devil, basically. And Jesus, if that had been me, I'd have been blown away. I'd have been thinking, what do I say now? What do I say now? Jesus, as cool as a cucumber, turns back to them and he says, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste. And no city divided against itself will stand. And then he goes on and the people around like are like, whoa, dude, that's some answer. He's basically like a cricketer, had a ball come down the pitch and he's hit it for six. I love it, you know, right over the boundary, over the bowler, over the boundary, into the top stand. Fantastic. We need to realize unity is important because God wants the world to know that it was God, the Father, who sent him. He has given us glory as the Father has given it to him. In truth, I see that really as the unity between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That is what God wants, and so we need to contend. So we need to pray. We need to do it because we want to lead believers or lead people to know who he was. We need to do it because we need to be led to maturity. You see, when we come to unity of the faith... now. What does that mean? What does unity of the faith mean? Does that mean indoctrination? No, I don't believe it does. But what it means is that there are an irreducible minimum of doctrinal standards that, or doctrinal teachings that we have to believe. And the result is that we need to be brought to the unity of faith and knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Do you know the elders' job and the pastor's jobs in this place is to bring you to maturity, to help you take on the image of Jesus. Now, I know that God's involved. I know that the Holy Spirit's involved. I know circumstances are involved, but so are we. And I am going to say to you this morning, in the next three and a half years that I am here, I'm pledging myself to do that, even if it's uncomfortable. And I hope that if you see things in me where I've got a bit of a pointy bit sticking out, that you'll love me enough to come and bring a little bit of a file with you and file it down a bit for me. Or knock it off if you can, because I prefer the knock, it's quicker than the file. <laughs> and therefore, unity is so important to us. I'm going to finish there, but I want to say these are the takeaways I want you from today. I, I want you to know your eternal destiny is secure. 
I do want you to recognise that you've entered the life of service and that service is to the King of Kings. I want you to understand that together as a church we have a high calling to make known the manifold wisdom of God. I genuinely want you to go away this morning being prepared to contend to maintain unity in the body. That means praying, but it might also mean if you happen to be in a conversation which takes a turn for the worse. It's not that you have to be rude. But the reality is you need either to walk, say, you need to walk away or you need to challenge what is there in a loving way. You might want to leave it till after next week because I'm going to deal with how we can do those things. And we need to be eager to live in unity together. And I want to say to you, the reason I believe that is because Psalm 133 is a beautiful psalm. How many of you want to live in the blessing of God? Yeah? Put your hands up. Do you want to live in the blessing of God? Well, here's scriptural injunction. It's a song of ascent, one of David's songs of ascent, as they were going up to the temple. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It's like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It's like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. If you want to live in the blessing of God, we have to get a handle on unity. We can do that this week through praying for one another, talking to the Lord about our own life, our own concerns, our own um, agitations, asking him to fill us more with his Holy Spirit and himself. So let's pray. And Neil, if you and Pam would like to come back and can lead us in some worship and then we'll break bread together. Father God, every one of us here just right now, Lord, we just sit, we're sitting at your feet really. And Lord, you are overall and you know what goes on, you hear what we speak, you know what is done and what everything. And so on one level, Lord, we, we put ourselves in your hands and ask you, Father, as a body, that you would protect us from disunity and division. And that, Lord God, what you would do is that you would visit us. Lord, fill us all afresh with your Holy Spirit. Lord, fill us afresh. Give us a greater desire for you and your word. 
Because as we travel towards you, getting closer to you, we automatically draw together in unity. So Father God, I pray for every home that is represented here. I pray, Lord, that you will open the windows of heaven, pour out your spirit, pour out your blessing as we respond to the call to be walking in unity together. Lord God, we pray for those who are not with us this week, Lord, away at the big church day out or just away on that annual leave. Lord, give those folk blessing, pressed down, shaken together and running over. And Lord, help us contend for unity in this house. Amen.